What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Phoenix duo AJJ started in 2004 as part of the folk punk scene, but quickly transcended the genre in their approach to songwriting by adding additional members and changing up their instrumentation. And as popular as the group are now, when they signed Asian Man Records a few years in, they were still a relatively unknown band. But while in Asian Man, they got so big that Mike Park actively encouraged them to move to a bigger label. Today, we bring on AJJ founders Sean Bonnet and Ben Gallaty to discuss their ska roots and to tell us what it's like to be a ska-adjacent band. AJJ, big band for Asian Man Records. And you know who AJJ has to thank for their whole career? I think his name is Skylar Suarez. (laughs) Our good friend, Skylar Suarez. He can put that on his tombstone. Without Skylar Suarez, AJJ doesn't have a career. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but so AJJ, like, because they've been part of the Asian Man family, like, mm-hmm. I know you and I have both been fans of them for a long time and known them for a while. I feel like there's all these kind of like peaks and valleys in the Asian Man roster, and AJJ is one of those one of those peaks. Yeah, you know the other band that Skylar signed to Asian Man. What's the other band? No Torso. Oh, No Torso. <laughs> Scott, great Scott band. But uh, yeah, they're not as well known as AJJ. Yeah, so Skylar, you got about a, a 50% batting average. <laughs> Although 100% batting average when it comes to bands being good. Yes. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, we have Sean and Ben, who are the original members of AJJ. Yeah, what a great episode. They're great dudes. Yeah. I hope I get to see Ben again soon. He's tall like me, and I like hugging him. All right, so this first bit is some Sean specific questions. Mm-hmm. So Sean, uh, last year you, um, you played some acoustic songs at a uh, indefensive ska event in Mesa at the Sojo's vegan donuts. We sure did. Thank you very much. That was a, you, you did a fine service to ska. 
<laughs> uh, by the way, like I know you've played a lot more shows than me, uh, and Aaron uh, Aaron Burke from Mini Bosses set this all up. But that was got to be one of the weirdest like shows where it was like we're at a vegan do- donut shop at uh, like eight in the morning, and we're like outside in the front of it doing this event while people are just coming and going like how weird was that for you in terms of the the different kinds of crazy shows you've you've played it was not weirder than playing a grocery store when'd you play a grocery store grocery <laughs> store was uh in tulsa oklahoma in 2000 hoobity wah and uh it was with dave dean's musical forklift uh who is awesome and maybe the band Lizard Police, who are also great. Uh, that was the first time that we ever had that I ever had uh, that drink called Tapache. It's like a somewhat um, like a semi fermented pineapple rind drink kind of in the you know, it's like a cousin to kombucha. Um, but uh, that was weirder for sure, because there were just people going about their day shopping. Um, and yeah. uh, then me and Ben you know, prime, like drunk, rowdy, acoustic, uh, you know, f- uh, very, you know, smelly folk punk, just in, in the grocery store, just playing. Um, the owner was really nice and really into it. Uh, but there were definitely like not. Yeah, there there were some people there for the show, but a lot of people just wanted to buy groceries and I feel bad for them. So when you right before you started playing as Soja's Soja's, I think. Um, you, you told the crowd that you were Scott adjacent and, uh, you talked about being, uh, raised on two tone records by your mom. You, can you talk about that a little bit? Oh, sure. I mean, I, I, uh, I didn't know what ska was when I was into those records. I thought they were new wave, um, yeah. which I suppose new wave is Scott adjacent, um, in its sure. own right. I mean, I, I was just listening to y'all's episode with, uh, with John, John Darnell, Um, and he talked about the anglophilia of ska back then um i mean you know he was like a coming of age young man and but i was a baby but i think the same thing kind (laughs) of i think there's i think there's a lot of anglophilia so like the the new wave being sky adjacent makes makes some sense but like you know listening to like mirror in the bathroom for example like that to my ear at first doesn't sound like a ska song and you guys might even debate whether it is i don't know um but I, yeah, I loved, I loved the specials and I loved madness. I still do listen to him today. Um, you know, what's fun is a uh, place golf for a toddler and you'll see yeah. just how, just how magical that music is. Yeah. I, th- I think that they used the term new wave. I don't know that new wave was like, if you could really define what new wave was, because I think it kind of encompassed in, at least in the U S it encompassed like, like kind of the, the synth pop stuff, the ska stuff, the sort of like power pop stuff it was just kind of like i think it was that generation's version of alternative yeah definitely oh that makes sense yeah but yeah no i 100 percent agree about toddlers kids play them ska and watch them just bounce it's <laughs> they just have a body reaction to the music the, the correct body reaction it's so fucking cool my kid was like i'm gonna go get my tutu and he ran, he, he likes to put a tutu on when he dances and he like, he heard the music and was like, hang on, I got to get my dancing clothes. And then he went to his tutu on and then like just the most, yeah, the most innocent, pure, beautiful dancing. <laughs> so I, I saw that you, um, 
AJJ YouTube channel uploaded your set. Um, and, uh, it's funny. I was reading like every, every comment on there, except one is like, oh man, Sean, you know, your music means so much to me, you know, thank you so much. And then one, one guy or person, I should say, named Aleph Noel says, you're very ska bro. Don't you forget it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, thank God. (laughs) You're very ska. Let's talk about how ska you are. You uh, you did the ABC ska song with uh, Mike Park. That's true. What's the story? Uh, you you kind of talked about this <laughs> at the show. Like you just were at his house recording that. Did he did? What, what, yeah, tell me about that. Uh, he said, yeah, he you know he was like, hey, you should come to San Francisco for this show. I'll you know I'm setting up a show. Maybe it was his birthday or something. Um, I'll fly you out. You can stay at my house. We're gonna have a cookout. It's gonna be great. And so he flies me out, spirit. Um, <laughs> no expense. No expense. <laughs> Flight's delayed. I get there at like 2 a.m., miss the cookout. The next day, he's like, hey, I'm working on this record with Jeff. Can you write a verse <laughs> for this song about the ABCs? <laughs> so he, he didn't even have the lyrics written for you. You had to write them yourself? Yeah, I had to write them myself. Amazing. I don't think I have publishing on that song either. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, they're like, okay, <laughs> morning early. I write, yeah, I write a, I write a, write a tight sixteen bars about the ABCs and what they look like, and then it's a ska. Then I, then I really, you know, I didn't realize until after the fact. Oh, it's a ska song. Like, I, you know, I, I don't think about genre too much. Um, although I've done, I've done my fair amount of listening to ska and of, of clowning on ska, um, but I didn't know that I was ever going to be you know, to, to help compose a ska song. And, yeah. Uh, that's, that's a check off my bucket list. Um, now, didn't he release it like two years after you recorded that? Yeah. Yeah. Um, it just took him a while, I guess. And I don't know. I'm, I'm, I, I, uh, I don't begrudge him that it takes a long time to put stuff out sometimes and, and to be in the right mind mindset to finish things. Um, but I think what it was, was Jeff finished it for him like jeff jeff was finally like hey i got you know he jeff's restless if there's something that's undone or that is not complete i think he will like take great pains to finish it um which yeah god bless jeff for that that's awesome i don't have that how is it when that song was released and you were like your 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 name was attached to a ska song big surprise but i was delighted i think it's so (laughs) i love that song i think it's great i'm really happy i'm really happy with how the verse turned out um, you know, a little, little fun trivia. There's a, uh, there's a secret verse where, um, where Mike like cusses and, uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and it's very, very funny. It was sent around, you know, the internal emails. Um, <laughs> and, uh, I'm not going to say what it is, but it's, it's great. It's, you know, cause the song starts out, it's like a dialogue, but, or, it used it was it started off as a dialogue between like Mike pretending to be a kid and being like, oh, dad, the ABCs are boring. <laughs> and then Mike's all like, you know, no, they're not. Check this out. <laughs> but then, yeah, during the during those vocal takes, I think he just was, you know, getting getting frustrated and silly and started cussing a bunch. And it was awesome. <laughs> Um, but the, I, I love the video, too. Gil did, a, did oh. an awesome job animating the video and um, the toddler like watched it when it first when it first dropped just like it's all it's all humor to watch and uh 
He's probably he's forgotten about it now. Maybe I should drop it on him tomorrow and be like, check the sky out. He looks like Scott now. Guess what? Your daddy's a ska daddy. <laughs> <laughs> but this this leads me to uh the biggest ska daddy in AJJ is my uh my esteemed partner Ben Gallaty. Oh. He is the he's the most ska member of AJJ. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I let's I want to hear your ska past Ben, but we're going to talk about a specific ska night first. Okay. And uh, see if you remember. So how many years ago is it? Maybe three, four years ago? Uh, no, maybe longer. But the Yucca Tap Room. Yeah. Bob was there, right? Bob was there. Uh, there was a, some metal band that went on, and they had huge spikes coming out of their, the, the wrapped around their wrist area. <laughs> oh, shit. Whoa, what? I try to remember Do you remember this? I remember, yeah, like I have this vague memory. It was Narboots, right? And so that, that, the, that was the first band. Then the second band was Narboots. Okay, yeah, yeah. And the headliner was Mini Bosses. Yeah, I was definitely there. I do I do remember this. Um <laughs> Wait, was the metal band Ben's metal band? No, no. No, no. Ben didn't play. Ben was just an audience member. Oh. Yeah, yeah. I just remember visually this band was like had they were metal and then they had spikes that were like at least a foot long all around. It was very very elaborate. <laughs> I have no memory what their name was. And obviously they were friends with some friends of Aaron or something. Yeah. Um, so during, during the Narboot set, we had, we did one, one ska song and it's about Mike Park. And I remember during that song, Adam and I surrounded you and just yelled at you and just demanded that you skanked and you did. (laughs) Oh, really? Wow. I must've been, I must've been drinking. I I do not. You don't remember? I mean, yeah. I mean, I remember how to skank, you know, I remember like the basic, (laughs) the basic mechanics of it, but, uh, I hadn't, I hadn't realized that I'd skanked, skanked in the last decade. Yes, sir. Ska Sergeant. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, Maybe it wasn't the first time somebody uh, demanded you skank. So maybe it didn't like it. It didn't stick out in his memory. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. I'm glad that I'm glad that I, uh, I, I went along with it. You know, that's, that's red. <laughs> like a man it. I just remember also in all the chaos, like just, you know, we're throwing stuff around and some guy wanted to fight me and there was a lot of fun stuff happening that night. <laughs> but then I just spotted Ben and Ben's Ben and I are both really tall. And I just walked over and I just hugged Ben and I just I held I held him for a good fifteen seconds. Oh, that's so sweet. <laughs> yeah. That was nice. Thank you for that. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's my strongest memory of the show. That was a fun spot, the Yucca Tap Room, because it was like, uh, typically they didn't do a cover there. So, you know, you it wouldn't necessarily be people that were um, into the music. Like there were so many times where like the regulars or the people that were, um, you know, at the bar were like kind of hostile to the to the, the musicians that were playing. So it was a weird spot, but it was great. A lot of great shows happened there. Yeah, it, it's funny as Narboots, because Narboots was just a fun, is, is just a fun project for Adam and I. So Every single show we've ever played has been in the Bay Area, except that one <laughs> show. It's the only time show. we've ever toured. <laughs> and that's because Aaron was like, you guys got to come to Arizona. I'll fly you out. We're like, cool. That sounds, <laughs> that's fun. Let's do that. <laughs> God, that rules. Aaron, you know who else was at that show? <laughs> who else? Jamie Wolford of Animal Chin. Oh, really? Yep. So, so you guys must have hung out then? Yeah. 
I have a picture of us together at that show. Okay, because I didn't I didn't know him back then. Wow. There's a whole bunch of ska happening. So yeah, so Ben, let's hear about so yeah, Sean has told me already, and he's already said this in the interview that you're more the more ska member of the band. So Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was in my my like the first band I was in like seventh grade or something was called free delivery. And I know that we at least played a ska song or like, you know, incorporated some ska stuff into our music. Um, Seventh grade was also when my friend Billy Davidson, he was like new to the school. He was like, had a weird haircut, you know, like he's all shaved except for like the very front part, like some little like bangs coming off and uh, he skateboarded. And like, I went and hung out with him and he had, I believe it was like one side of the tape was Operation Ivy and the other side was like Skank and Pickle, sing along with Skank and Pickle, which just like mm. completely blew my mind. I, I I don't know, like I just never heard anything like it, especially Skank and Pickle. Um, so that was like kind of my introduction to Ska. And then, so my, my uh, brother, my half brother, <clears throat> brother from another mother, um, who's a little bit older than me, quite a bit older than me, he grew up in like the Riverside area and was like buds with all the voodoo glow school guys. So like I heard about them when I was pretty young and uh, yeah, I went to tons of ska shows. Um, remember seeing real big fish with uh, the pilfers at this place called Gibson's in Tempe. Um, one of the bands, the toasters came through um, the Squidats are supposed to play with them, but the guy got like his voices messed up, but I think maybe the, blue menus were also on that show mm. um that band is fucking great oh yeah yeah i need to listen to more of the blue menus they sound awesome I, I read the book uh i read your book it was really fun and interesting and there's like yeah started to like dig around a little bit to listen to some of the stuff that you mentioned in the book um oh thanks yeah yeah it's it's cool i found some great stuff uh so far and uh I'm sure there's plenty more that comes from. Yeah, the Blue Meanies were kind of a band unlike any other from that era. Just like felt like Mr. Bungle was a, a pretty big influence, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like their their take on Ska was a, a bit a bit from left field. They seemed to I, I remember their live record. They had a they had kind of a chip on their shoulder about genre in general. And they said, like, yeah, this thing, it's called music. i mean you can kind of understand it's it's a weird thing where it's like they get kind of like you get pulled into the ska scene and that seems very welcoming and and but at the same time you get sort of like it's hard to break out of that or to like appeal to people who aren't into it already Mm -hmm. like like there's so many people i'm sure that love or would love blue meanies that don't particularly care for ska because it doesn't really sound like most ska bands yeah, but it's hard to be like, oh, it's a ska band. I'm not. I don't. I don't like ska. So it is. It is a challenge, you know. So I can understand a band like that having a, a little bit of a reaction. Yeah, no, it makes perfect sense. If the Blue Meanies were around today, I bet they would be really successful because I think genre is kind of crumbling. Yeah, or at least, at least like people's allegiances to genre and like the the walls they put up to like you know their allegiances it's all going away people just kind of like whatever now and it's awesome i heard you uh ben you did this interview with um 
it's record time. Were you talking about your favorite uh, uh, difficult second record was More Specials? Yeah. Yeah, I really love that album. Um, it's just all over the place. I mean, yeah, talking about like genre, like it, it certainly has some upstrokes and stuff, but um, it's just like a good, fun record and they dabble in all sorts of stuff. Uh, yeah, Muzak. Muzak, yeah, that was Jerry Dahmer's. <laughs> it was like, that was kind of his, uh, like what he was, the approach, you know, what he was kind of going for with it. But um, yeah, that one's cool. It gets, it starts out with like, you know, enjoy yourself, which is just like really upbeat and kind of happy, but like the lyrics are like super dark. And I, I think that's also, yeah, it's an, an old cover that they did. Um, so I think that's just like, and that is like one of the things I really love about Scott too, is where, you know, um, the, the dance ability and like the up, the upbeats and just like the tempo and everything is like pretty lighthearted, but then like, it can be a really cool delivery system for like some deeper and darker kind of uh, subject matter. Um, yeah. But yeah, that, that album in particular, I don't know. It, it was just, I just love how weird it is. You know, it's a, uh, I never grew tired of it because there's always something, some new like dimension of it that I, I hear and I like continue to listen to it. So yeah, that's, that's a good one. It had kind of broke up the band too. You know, it's like, you can kind of, <laughs> <laughs> like that tension can be a good thing, but I think it was maybe just a little bit too much for that band at that time, you know? Yeah. That band had a lot of tension. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did you, what do you think? Did you ever listen to, um, in the studio, the, in the studio. album that followed it's So it's only like, it's Jerry Dammers and I think the drummer and maybe the bassist for some of the songs. It's the specials, AKA. Okay. So, which is a band, that was a name they used in the seventies and then they went to the specials and then he went back to specials, AKA that's a record that's very, very weird and interesting. And it's not, it's like, there's a few, there's some reggae in it. It's not really Scott at all, but Mm -hmm. it's interesting. And, uh, like the song, they did a song of of free Nelson Mandela, which was about the imprisonment of Nelson Mandela. And it was a time when, um, his story wasn't really known very well. Yeah, I know that tune. Yeah, I, I'm familiar with that one. I had the singles collection. I think that was actually probably the first yeah. specials um, CD that I owned. And it had that. That was like the last song in the record. Yeah, that song like actually like literally brought awareness to that whole situation. Wow. Like in a, in, a, in, a, in a real like measurable way. That's awesome. I didn't I hadn't known that. Is, is the more specials your favorite two tone record or were you just kind of going with that? sort of like that question of the the second record yeah i was just going with the question of the second record um i love uh madness one step beyond um i love specials by the specials like i said the singles collection is incredible um more specials um i have dance craze you know like that's a yeah cool little collection of songs um actually i really like a uh, body snatchers they don't like they never put out a record but like yeah, they had some singles. Yeah, yeah, I really like the the lead vocalist. Um, her voice is really really cool. Um, so yeah, I I like a, a lot of that two tone stuff. And also, um, Simrip is like I don't know. I, I had a, another friend, uh, Randy Denton, and like he had two older siblings that were both into like punk and ska. So like it was a really deep well. Um, and definitely like heard about Simrip through them. And, yeah, you turned me on to Simrip. 
you and Rand, you and Randy. Uh, Phoenix, Phoenix City, which is great. Um, I was like so <laughs> yeah. confused about that band though. Yeah, like I didn't understand because like on the cover there's like a bunch of like white skinhead dudes. I'm like, what is going on? <laughs> like, I don't know. Like, this doesn't. I don't think this is the band. Um, and like, yeah, it was all very confusing to me, but I knew that I liked the music and, uh, yeah, from what I understand now, it's all, it's all cool. They were just, uh, <clears throat> I don't know, I guess trying to market it to a certain group of people. Yeah. The, the skinheads were uh, a pretty viable market in England in the late sixties and early seventies for that kind of music. Yeah. So when you were first getting into ska, mm-hmm. uh, was there, was there a scene or local bands I assume, I assume you're from Phoenix, right? No, I'm actually from like a, a smaller town in northern Arizona. It's called Chino Valley. It's uh, okay. near Prescott, which is like a bigger city, but still like much smaller than like Flagstaff, Tucson or Phoenix. Um, yeah, I'm trying to like, it seemed like there was always, it wasn't like there was like a ska scene, but like most bands would have elements of ska, you know, like they like have at least a breakdown in a song, you know? Uh, like I said, with my band Free Delivery, uh, we had, I don't, we weren't a ska band, but like, you know, we had the obligatory, like, play the thing fast and then like play it ska style and then like play it fast and then the song's over kind of deal. Um, but I never like, I never, I never had like, I was never in a band with them. somebody who was like really all that great at doing the upstroke stuff. It seems like it was a little <laughs> bit too challenging. Um, yeah. I could play, like, I always loved, you know, ska bass lines. Um, cause I kind of like also would like, I played in a jazz band and like in the high school jazz band and stuff too. So like I could, you know, bounce around the scale a little bit. Um, and it was a fun challenge rather than just like staying on the root note. But yeah, there wasn't like, wasn't a huge ska scene, but like ska was welcome. Um, and bands would come from out of town and I'm trying to think, uh, there was, there was this band from Tucson called Warsaw. Poland Brothers. I don't know if you're familiar. Yeah, I remember Warsaw. Yeah, yeah. They um, they would come up like they would just do like regional kind of touring and stuff. So I know they were playing around. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think of some of the other ones. Was it Fayuka? That was like a Phoenix ska band. Oh yeah, my first show that I played uh, in any band was was with Fayuka playing upstairs from us. <laughs> <laughs> while we were playing oh shit fucking dicks <laughs> <laughs> fuck Fayuka yeah <laughs> it makes sense that Sean wasn't a total ska head then right he was like some fucking <laughs> let's start that AJJ Fayuka beef <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure they're good guys but fuck them <laughs> nah fuck them you said that you've done your fair amount of clowning on ska yeah Let's hear it. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's just like, you know, it's all puns. Oh, yeah. It's all puns. It's all skanking jokes. Nothing, nothing too mean. You just sound like you're into ska. Like, isn't that like part of being a a ska fan, right? (laughs) (laughs) That's something I've noticed is it is somewhat self-effacing. It is. It can be. Yeah. So that's, yeah, that's kind of the, the line you have to walk when you're, you know, ska adjacent. Yeah, is you've got to you've got to be in on the joke, but also like not a dick. <laughs> yeah, my first uh, the first ever like show I went to as like an independent young person um, without, you know, parents was a ska punk show in 
Rochester, Minnesota when I was living there for a while when I was a kid. And there was a band called Sesto that uh, that played. And they just knocked my socks off. They played this one song that I learned later was an MXPX song. But God, I love the bass line. Then another show when I when I lived in Phoenix, when I moved there, uh, back there. Okay, so maybe the thing that I clowned on Ska the most when Ska was like the official music of the Cortez High School Golf Club. <laughs> Everybody was Christian. Five Iron Frenzy, right? I mean, uh huh. Yeah, dude. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Biggest selling artist on Asian Man Records, and they didn't even put out a record. They just sold the shirts <laughs> to, all the, to all the freshman golf club members forever. Wow. Um, and then, uh, yeah, like I remember getting like peer pressured by some like uh, some Christian punks when I was in middle school and high school to go see uh, some bands at a place called the Fire Escape in Phoenix. Uh, we saw a band called I saw a band called American Made a few times. Do you guys remember American Made? No. Were they also a Christian band? Uh, when it was convenient to them, I'm sure it was. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Anyone will be a Christian band if it's paying right. You know? <laughs> they went myrrh. They went myrrh with that shit. Uh, <laughs> I seem to remember a band like that. Yeah, I think I saw them up in up in Prescott. Actually, I was uh, I was unimpressed. Yeah, they were getting out there. And they were like, you know, I, I liked, uh, once again, I liked their bassist. <laughs> one, time I, one time I saw him at Guitar Center and I was like, whoa, you're the guy from American Made. That's it. <laughs> like, yeah, check this, check this music man out. <laughs> I just like can't get the image out of my head of like the golf team, like flipping on like some Five Iron Frenzy and then like doing like the synchronized skank and then like praying, doing like a bow for like praying. Yeah. Is that what it was like? I was not in the golf club, but I, <laughs> those were the ska guys when I was in high school. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, you were right. You were right to clown on them. <laughs> yeah. Later, later, um, I, uh, I had a neighbor, uh, Mr. Brian Martin, who used to be in the band Mephiscopheles and he showed me the grittier side of ska and that ska could be like dangerous <laughs> and hot and cool. That guy was rad. That guy was fucking rad. <laughs> hey, Sean, uh, I called in sick for work, so I'm upstairs getting drunk. Uh, you want to do that? <laughs> and go upstairs and play on his Wurlitzer. He's like, I got this David Bowie songbook. And we sing, be all drunk, sing a major tom together, <laughs> kicking his dog and stuff. Fuck. I love Brian Martin. <laughs> If you hear me, Brian Martin, if you're out there, <laughs> miss you, man. Blink twice. <laughs> yeah, there was no God in his ska. It was awesome. <laughs> no. <laughs> Once you learned that there was a world of godless ska. Yeah, yeah. And then I found out about like the rudiments and stuff. And it's like, oh, shit, this is hard. Yeah, I was I was really into Choking Victim and Leftover Crack. Like, yeah. Uh, those, first, those first records were... Yeah, that was like my shit for like senior year of high school, just when I moved out. Yeah, there was like this whole, this crazy shit went down. I wasn't at the show, but there was like this, uh, <laughs> this like Halloween night show, like that turned into a fucking riot with uh, Leftover Crack was supposed to play. And I don't know if they ever actually played or if they, it just became like this enormous fight. <laughs> but uh yeah. <laughs> Legendary Phoenix stuff right there. The firehouse riot. 
on the brick house, I think. <clears throat> oh, oh yeah, the brick house. Pardon me. I, I saw Stiz, I saw Stiza play the firehouse after that though, and he was like, "Thank you guys for having me. I know we're not allowed in this town anymore." yeah because i reached out to them i had the wild idea i'm like well yeah we'll just book them at the counterculture cafe or whatever and like i don't know whatever like maybe they burned a bridge with somebody else but i'll book the show and uh i hadn't yeah i wasn't it's not like i was promoting shows or anything i just thought i could but i never never got a response it's probably for the best has ajj ever done any scott played with any ska bands yeah what was the I'm sure a, a lot. Um, Bomb the music industry. Bunch of shows. Bunch of shows of those dudes. What was the name of that band? Was it a Captain Squeegee and the something or others? Captain Squeegee and the Soap Suds, yeah. Soap Suds. <laughs> we played with them in Tempe. Um, they ran away from Ska, though. Now they're like a math They're like math rock band. Do they keep the name, though? I think they did, which is pretty brave. Wow. Uh, the Kodiaks. We played with a band called the Kodiaks in Louisville. That like I thought of that just the other day. Um, oh yeah they were sick yeah they were a good band for sure um Mm. omaha we played with a band omaha or lincoln we played with a sick fucking band called vibe and high hell yeah we did (laughs) v-i-b-e-n-h-a-i i I believe (laughs) yeah i think we opened we opened for them right we sure did (laughs) it was appropriate no doubt (laughs) yeah they were yeah the fucking crowd loved them they were great i mean there's like fun fun party band uh Play the basement. David Solomon's house was uh, mm-hmm. where that one happened. Shout out David Solomon. Yeah. Shout out David <laughs> Solomon. And I'm sure plenty more. I mean, yeah, because like we, you know, we're on Asian Man Records. So, of course, like for, the um, you know, reunions and stuff like that, we definitely. Yeah. I'm trying to think of which which bands, um, but I know that we played with ska bands. Like, you know, like we've played with. Dan Pot has in a million iterations, but never any of his ska bands. Like uh, we, um, the Stitch Up, uh, mm-hmm. we played with them in Santa Cruz. Stitch Up's rad. Yeah, yeah, absolutely phenomenal band. It was uh, at the point in time where um, Shannon was uh, playing bass. I can't remember who was on drums, but Greg. I mean, Greg was the original drummer. I don't know if he was okay. continued to be. Yeah, is is he the San Diegan? No, or I don't know. Actually, I don't know. If he's from San Diego, I I ended up hanging out one time playing solo in San Diego with a guy that that told me that he played drums on all the Stitch Up records, and I was like, wow. Huh. Yeah, I think that dude. Um, yeah, did he do sound at the Irenic as well? I think uh, Rick Johnson knows that dude. Oh yeah, I think he did. I can't remember his name right now, but yeah, maybe it's Greg. Yeah, sounds sounds good to me. Yeah, let's talk about Asian Man Records. Yeah, let's. <laughs> here's how i understand your asian man uh origin story you are playing at a place called mama buzz in oakland and right. uh, the legendary skylar suarez mm-hmm. goes up to you and uh, says what does he say like he wants a free cd because he's <laughs> to give it to the asian man or something <laughs> he's in the asian man family very cheap yeah <laughs> So he's just kind of like <laughs> looking for his, his angle. And then he sees in our merch box, a toys that kill record that we had uh, procured earlier on in that tour when we had hopped on a bill with toys that kill. Um, <laughs> but he's <laughs> so it, it, he piggybacks off that and says, Oh, we put out one of their records. And we're like, Hmm, who, who is we, who is we <laughs> Asian man records. 
And we like, you know, immediately just start kissing his ass. Yeah. <laughs> and give him all the stuff he wants. No problem. <laughs> Didn't take much back in those days, though. We were like pretty happy to give anyone that was at all interested in our band <laughs> all of the merch for free. Yeah, shit was kind of cheap. And we didn't care. We, we've always looked at it, um, especially back then, as like, yeah, just kind of a fun, like a vacation project. And so, yeah, happy to happy to share it. Uh, but especially with, yeah, with someone from a record label that puts out cool records. Do you remember anything about that Mama Buzz show? Yeah, I remember that um, we saw uh, Jamie Stewart and Kira Lee um, from Shushu walk in uh, your your former roommate, Adam. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, we lived like two blocks from Mama Buzz. Hell yeah. Oh, no shit. Uh, yeah. So I remember seeing them and being, we, we had opened up for Shushu previously, like, you know, a while, a while back. And I was a big fan. I think Ben, Ben's a big fan or a fan. Yes. I don't know. I'm a huge fucking fan. I'll, I'm I'll a be, fan too. Oh yeah. yeah. There we go. Amazing band. Oh, the best. Um, so yeah, that night was super exhilarating. Cause it was like, oh man, Shushu came out to see us. They did not. They, <laughs> they came to get coffee and they left. um that show was uh the other thing i remember from that show is it was set up by eric landmark from the band numbers um as kind of a trade we had we had set up a show for for him solo with the ocs and uh pd dammit from trace ferocious who i think now is also in the ocs um so uh eric yeah eric set hooked us up with the mama buzz show in uh because we because we set them up at modified um and we played with another group called readyville that were kind of like our like bay area cousins um just for like for having like really good storytelling songs that were acoustic driven um that guy nick was such a great songwriter did um did uh the vision of a dying world also play that show were we on tour with them or is that am i thinking about a different trip that was the second time we played mama buzz and okay. that time that time we played with some guy the trumpet player for tom waits and vision of a dying world guys were so excited yeah. um that we played with them or maybe it was like it was yeah it was some shit like that maybe it was like tin hat trio people or um it was yeah it was really cool like bay area art music have you ever heard Jamie's uh, older band, Ibopa? I haven't. I don't think I've heard any of the Ibopa stuff, but I I do know that one of the big reasons that we that we did like decide to work with Asian Man Records was Ten in the Swear Jars discography was was on Asian yeah. Man. Um, and I got it. I love that fucking record. There's definitely some ska in Ibopa. Nice. In yeah. the indes- right, it stands for the indestructible beat of Palo Alto. Is that right, Adam? Uh, that is correct. Yes. Okay. Oh, that's, a, that's great. I like that. <laughs> By the way, Jamie, Jamie, if you're listening, we really want you on the show. I've already asked him once. He doesn't want to do it. <laughs> I'll text him. I got nothing to lose. <laughs> it's not about him wanting to do it it's just that he should do yeah. it you know yes <laughs> by, by the way when you guys um played um san, san francisco and was it 2020 it was 2021 obviously not 2020 um when shushu opened it was just jamie mm-hmm. i gotta say he can do a mean uh balloon solo <laughs> <laughs> that was so fucking sick Scott story uh kevin our, our drummer uh kevin higuchi's a uh, bandmate from the Whiskey Avengers, his ska punk band, was there that night, and 
he uh he was he was a little tipsy but when jamie played he he got so fucking mad he was like <laughs> he said I will not stand for this. <laughs> and he stormed out and he like left his jacket. <laughs> he like it pissed him off so much that he was like, fuck this, I'm out. And he, it was a members only jacket. I wish I had I wish Kevin knew that I loved members only jackets because I would have totally kept it. It was like one of those big and tall members only jackets, just my size. Wait, was it literally the balloon solo that put him over the edge? It might have been the balloon solo. It might have been when he. It might have been when he whistled into the microphone full force. Yeah, I like that move though. Just for everyone that's listening, it's not like it's not like whistling with his mouth. He has a whistle, like a gym whistle, that he just like puts in the microphone and just like blows. Yeah, and it's a full. It really- <laughs> and by balloon solo, we mean like when you take a full balloon and you do that thing where you let it leak really slowly and it makes that really high irritating voice sound. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. the solo. Mm-hmm. Very, yeah. very, very, very artistic. And then you flick it into the audience. <laughs> it was so good. Sometimes you do. Sometimes you do two balloons. Even you know. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you didn't get enough enough squeak out of the first one on a special occasion. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i there's not a there's not a lot of bands we tour with where, where i will watch their like set every night but i did for shushu yeah and it was it was the same songs and everything but i i just had to watch it every night it was oh that was the best tour <laughs> so at mama buzz um aaron and i play there in Nar- in narboots and uh mm-hmm. just so you guys don't feel bad about jamie walking out boots riley walked in during our set from the Whoa, coup yeah really though if you hang out in oakland for like for like more than a day you're gonna run into boots because he's like everywhere um but uh he walked out before our our set started he just was there to get coffee yeah damn (laughs) (laughs) what was your understanding of relationship to asian man before um before you met skylar that day was were you a fan of asian man where is there a specific records that you liked uh i i i was a huge fan of asian man records i would do the mail order and stuff when i was in high school um me and all my friends you know we would i remember getting a link 80 shirt i don't know what happened with it i know it was super small and i don't know if i fucked up when i ordered it and got the wrong size or if mike just like sent whatever size he wanted to i like <laughs> fully wouldn't put that past him um but yeah i try to think of some of the other bands like there's so many, so many good bands on Asian records. Why can't I think of any right now? <laughs> I mean, like, I, I just, uh, yeah. Ten in the swear jar. Ten in the swear jar. That's the, that's the one. No, that's seriously, that's seriously a good, that's a good underrated Asian man album. Good for cows. Good for cows. Oh yeah. Good for cows is on there. I remember, I think, uh, Skank and Pickle was the music for Margaret Cho's like stand-up special. Yeah, it was supposed to be for her TV show, but the oh yeah, yeah, that's the TV executives passed mm. on it. Yeah, but that's what they wrote it for. Did that shit ever? Did did any anything ever air with them backing up Margaret Cho? Because I remember watching her, and then there being like a ska band or like a yeah, like a, a pretty peppy band off to the side. This was when I was a kid watching Comedy Central. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't think that was Skank and Pickle. Okay. Yeah. And in that case, I think my first, my first, like the first time I became aware of Mike Park was 
when he put out a record on Subsidy or Hopeless. Um, yeah, oh, what was that one? Was it North Hang Falling or was it uh, something about music? The Love of Music. Yeah, for the Love of Music, like the cartoon. I remember like looking at that uh, at that artwork, just like hanging up in the record store and being like, "Damn, that looks fucking cool!" Like so, like so pure. Um, I didn't listen to it at the time, but I just like I remember <laughs> I remember like loving like the the kind of just how like raw that artwork was and how like how just kind of sweet it seemed. And that's that's when I first became aware of Mike Park and started kind of paying attention to what was going on with him. Yeah. And then I, then I met Ben and Ben schooled me on, on the whole thing. It's like, Oh, you gotta, you, you gotta learn about skank and pickle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Love skank and pickle. They were so great. Never saw them live, but yeah, you, you, uh, Aaron, you, you toured with uh skank and pickle and- once. Yeah. And, and I saw them live in the Barry as much as I could too. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. They were great. My, they were my intro to ska or actually, they were my intro to being aware of it being ska. Like I, I was doing the math because I wrote in the book that it was my first ska show and that it was my first, it was my kind of my aware, awareness awakening to ska. But I was re- I realized that I was already a fan of Fishbone mm-hmm. and I was already a fan of Mr. Bungle. And there was like a lot of ska in that first record, but I didn't know. I didn't know the, that was ska. It was not until I saw Skang and Pickle. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's the thing is like, yeah, that's the thing with ska, I, I think is that it, it really, um, you know, like it depends on how you define it, but like you can make an argument that it's in a lot of music, you know? Um, but like, yeah, I don't know what, yeah. And I'm not really clear on what exactly defines it like as, as a ska band versus like a band that plays ska or that has like a ska part in a song or whatever. Uh, you know, like I was kind of like, I've been thinking about a lot, a lot this last week, you know, in anticipation of the, the podcast. And I feel like it's almost like, you know, a way to prepare a song, like if thinking about it in, like, in terms of like cooking or something, you know, like you're going to like, you're going to bake the thing or you're going to fry it or you're going to do this, you know, like ska is just like a way of preparing a song, you know, so it's really not even, it's not about this, the, the, the genre or whatever. It's like the song, there's so many great like songwriters that choose to use ska as like the, the way to prepare their songs, you know, and like, I think it also goes back to that whole, um, you know, like there's always that conversation, like what kind of music do you like, you know, and oftentimes people have some dumb answer. Like I like everything except for like this and that, you know, like country and rap or whatever, stuff like that. Um, yeah. I think that in my opinion, it's like actually like all genres are good and terrible. And it really has to do with like, I, I, I love and hate all genres. Like I can find, great examples of terrible bands and great bands in each genre. And like, that doesn't really matter. And I think the same goes for ska, you know, like there's plenty of stuff I've come across in ska and I'm like, okay, yeah, I don't like this. And I could understand why if somebody heard this and is their introduction to it, or like, this is what they thought ska was like, it'd make perfect sense for them to not be into it, but um, it's pretty narrow minded. And uh, I'm sure I, I guarantee that like, if somebody was open-minded, there would be plenty of ska music out there that they would enjoy, you know? Yeah. I feel like ska is the, the one genre that really gets that, like where, mm-hmm. you, you know, <laughs> you hear one song that you don't like from it and it's like, oh, I don't like any of this now, but you could hear, you could hear a bad song from any other genre and you'll be like, oh, I'll listen to something else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think so too. It's we. I mean, it's it's an easy. It's it's kind of an easy target. Um, you know, the silliness of it. Um, you know, everyone's trying to be all cool and serious and stuff. So it's like easy to dismiss something that's lighthearted. You know, because uh, I don't know. I don't know if it has to do with like just maybe like being i don't know because maybe they're not like they're not getting that joy out of it it's like maybe there's like a jealousy or something i don't i don't know what it is but there's certainly is this uh it kind of like gets an an angry reaction from some people in a way it's like so strange because like the music kind of it's a danceable kind of like lighthearted music and for like it to be met with such vehemence is like kind of bizarre but i think maybe that's part of it is like people aren't feeling like they're i don't know like clear that they just get in the fucking pit and start skanking like they're gonna be you know somebody's gonna like throw their arm around them and it's gonna be all cool but like i don't know it's weird <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I think there's there's a there's an element to music where it's like and i think this really is like when you're in your teenage and maybe early 20s and but that kind of shapes a lot mm-hmm. of your life is like what does this music say about me mm-hmm. and you know like like when what sean was saying like you play scoffer a toddler and they mm-hmm. they're not they're not concerned with what the music says about them they just react to it mm-hmm. positively um but when you're a teenager i think you get caught up in like how your, your identity and your musical tastes are they're, they're, they overlap yeah that's what the golf mm-hmm. club is into i'm not i'm i'm not on the golf team <laughs> exactly i'm one of those guys <laughs> So there is opportunity, I think, for people as they get older to kind of like overcome that. But I, I, you know, some people get stuck in that, like, that's how they felt and reacted when they were younger about music and this, whatever kind of music. But you also, I think, you know, you, you can overcome a lot of that. I mean, I've, there's so much music I like now in my forties that I hated or wouldn't even give a chance Mm -hmm. to. You know, just sure. my, my music tastes have just grown as I've gotten older. So yeah, me too. But some people, I, I think they just, they just go like, I only listened to what I listened to when I was um, 18. Yeah. I think that's a, that's a common thing. That's a path. Uh, yeah. It sucks. <laughs> yeah. It's really unfortunate, you know, <laughs> yeah. it's just, uh, but I, you know, I mean, it's like some people just like what's comfortable and familiar and, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, I'm a musician, so, uh, it behooves me to pay attention to music and learn about it, you know, where maybe it isn't important for some other people. Yeah. I mean, you want to, you want to understand music on a deeper level. I mean, I think that's natural as a musician. Yeah. And I listen to it a lot and I want to, you know, be challenged. Um, I like, yeah, I, I love listening to new music. Uh, like not just not like, like recently, um, was released, but like just things, things that I haven't heard before, just because I don't know, just, I, I love trying to understand the the whole history, everything, like the whole context of where everything came from. Cause everything has been influenced by something else, you know? So when you signed to Asian man, so you guys were at a smaller level, I guess you could say, or what, 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 what level was AJJ at at that point? We were just, uh, yes, we self-released a full length record. Um, which like, yeah, we like, ordered a thousand replicated discs and then we like you know would go to kinko's and print up whatever a hundred sleeves as needed you know like so it was like very um 
shoestring budget kind of deal you know we would just like manufacture the cds as we as we uh ran out of them and as we had money to do so as we gave them away to people there was no distribution or anything (laughs) yeah (laughs) distribution was free (laughs) so yeah that's i mean we were and i guess maybe maybe we'd done a few things releases that way at that point oh we uh yeah probably like a cdr as as well Mm -hmm. Um, we'd done some demos and stuff but yeah we'd only done like one full full length record Um, i really miss uh this is an aside, but I really miss the days of CDRs for DIY bands. Um, like there were like legitimate, yeah. like not, I mean, not, nothing is legitimate about CDRs, but like there were, uh, there were labels that would just put out fucking CDRs, like three inch <laughs> CDRs. <laughs> sure. Um, and that, those were kind of like the, the labels that we were messing with before we met Asian man records it was like, you know, night pass handmade records, John Thill from, from like the experimental band Quim Queridus. He like uh, he put out he put out a CDR for us uh, a three way split with Flash Bar from Las Vegas and Golden Boots from Tucson. That's mm-hmm. a cool record. Yeah. Um, and then yeah, we would put out whenever we would go on tour, we would make a CDR and and like the tour would be the occasion for us to to record music and and you know quote unquote release it just so we would have something to sell on the tour or something to give away. Mm-hmm. Um, so by that point, I think, yeah, we had had our, our one full length that, that was, and that was what we were like touring on. Was that, was issue problems out by then, Ben, do you think? Yeah, I guess it probably was. Cause I think that, you know, we were probably even starting. Oh yeah. So, um, later on Mike re-released candy cigarettes and cap guns, which is our first up, uh, record. So that was the one we'd put out by ourselves, but then he later on did release it. The first one we worked with Asian man records on was people who can eat people. Um, and I don't know if we even, I'm not sure that we knew that Asian Man Records was going to put it out when we were recording it necessarily. Um, he helped, He also got us on that Plea for Peace comp, which was really cool. Um, but yeah, that was, that was the first thing we did with Mike. So I'm not sure the order exactly, but when you guys do people and... That's kind of like this kind of this new era of Asian Man. Yeah. Where suddenly there's you guys bomb the music industry, Lemuria. We did that tour as well with uh, the queers and yeah, like you said, bomb the music industry, Lemuria, Kathy Gooley. Um, it was this pretty extensive tour that we did, I think, right around that time. Yeah, so it was a it was a really a really good, exciting time for Asian Man um when you were on the label. Yeah, and it was right after like so Shinobu, I think was a, they'd already been putting stuff out. And you had like Pterodon yeah. as well, which and Hard Girls came out after. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, came out after Classics of Love. I mean, that was a little bit later too, but um, there was that band of Hot Toddies at that time too. Um, yeah. Shit, who else? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Kevin Seconds too, I think was yeah. kind of started to put stuff out on Asian Man at that point. That show at the bottom of the hill, followed by the next day, the Oakland A's stadium. Um, parking lot show with like hot toddies lawrence arms yeah uh fuck who else who else played that show well, Terradon and shinobu i'm sure yeah. played it yeah 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 shinobu were they were another like i i you know i mentioned 10 in the square jar but like uh shinobu was a band that was doing stuff and we we fucked with for sure uh and they they made they they made me want to be on asian man records Cause they were, yeah. What they were doing was just awesome. Just yeah, great. Really good band. That, uh, that fucking 
Hard Girl's record, um, A Thousand Services, is like fucking one of my favorite records ever. So good. Hard Girls is an amazing band too. And I, when I, I lived in San Jose at the time when they were, when they were kind of up and coming and it really felt like from the San Jose punk scene at the time, they were the band that was going to blow up. Like they were that good and everyone loved them, but then <laughs> they didn't, you know, but then like, yeah. I, unfortunately as it happens, but then uh, it was awesome that like Mike Huguenor mm-hmm. ended up yeah. joining Jeff's band. You know, so there was like some element of it that kind of carried on to something bigger. And who knows? I mean, those guys, I think, I think maybe everyone's living in California again. Am I mistaken? Uh, I think Max moved back. Was he in Santa Rosa recently? I don't know. I thought I heard something about uh, all the all the hard girls. I saw Morgan uh, last year okay. and he, he cool. lives here in Sacramento, apparently. Yeah. So let's get a hard girls reunion going. That'd be great. So. I remember um, the first time I heard people who eat people was the, that was my mm-hmm. introduction to you guys. First time I heard it, I was totally blown away by it. And uh, I remember seeing you guys play. I don't remember where um, it was in the Bay area, obviously. And like you guys just had the whole audience just singing along like every <laughs> word, like at the top of their lungs and I was already in, I was already like a fan of it. And I was like, wow, <laughs> this is aw- This is amazing. This, this band is like, you know, it wasn't like it was, it wasn't like a stadium, but it was like the, for the people that are here, they're here. They're very present. Um, do, so when, when did that happen? That, that sort of like, when you guys really started to notice like, oh, something's happening with this band. Yeah. I mean, I guess it was. Probably just started around that time, you know, it was, it was like we were touring and pushing and, you know, things were fine. You know, we'd play shows and some people would listen, some people would be into it. And then it was right around that time. Yeah, I think, uh, what year was that? Was that 2007 when people came out? Um, yeah, I think that was, I that think was so, around yeah. the time where it just all started to kind of gel. And uh, yeah, it was it was a surprise to us or to me, at least, you know, we're like, we're working, working really hard, just touring. And then eventually, and it was like, it was weird too, because that would be like when we were out of town, we'd have these big shows and stuff, you know, like first time we played fest, it was just like, what the hell is happening? There's so many, like, this is, I had no idea like this many people even knew about our band. And, like they're all here and they're, like singing along and stuff. But then like our shows in Phoenix that whole time, like, and years afterwards, we're like, I mean, they're good, you know, we'd have good shows in Phoenix, but it was nothing like when we'd pop over to like California and stuff, you know, and I think especially on the, the West Coast, because that was like, well-worn territory for us, because like, the first, uh, you know, like, I, it was many, like, probably the fifth or sixth tour where like, we even like, kind of like crossed like over and like past the Midwest. It was a long time before we ever got to the, mid, uh, the East Coast, but mm-hmm. Yeah, that was probably, I, that could have been, I think it was like the 11th anniversary for Asian Man Records. It was like, it was like not an even number, you know, it was like Mike was like, missed the, you know, what, what you, That's right, the, yeah. the typical, <laughs> what, what you ought to do the anniversary before. That might've been it. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was probably that bottom of the hill. And then like, um, yeah, the next day was that um, performance in the parking lot of the athletic stadium. The song, the song "Rejoice," the the opening of that album. Yeah. That's the song that took me. <laughs> You're welcome. 
Thank you. No, <laughs> I, I love a good song that's like cuts through the bullshit about things. It's like dark, but also celebratory, I guess. I don't know. Is that how you describe it, Sean? Celebratory? Because it's like, you know, it's like, obviously, like, this, uh, everything sucks, or, you know, we're all going to die. But it's like, hey, you know, we might as well make the best of it. Yeah. I mean, even, even without making the best of it, like, the thing that I, the thing that I constantly, like, come back to with how fucking shitty everything is, is that, like, at the very least, it's out of your hands. Um, Like, Lately, I've been thinking a lot about microplastics and the fact that like they recently found uh, microplastics in a baby's diaper that had never eaten solid food before. It was all coming like from breast milk. It was like a baby that was freshly born and like you can find plastic in their stool. Wow. Just fresh out of the womb. And uh, there's no amount of personal choice that that would have like put plastic in that baby's shit. Um like there's no amount of like uh, <laughs> responsibility one can take as an individual. It's completely out of your hands at this point. We're all riddled with plastic. Yeah. So it's not your fault. And that's, that's what I kind of keep coming back to is like, it's um, yeah, it's a, uh, yeah, you're trying your best. So celebratory maybe, um, but like at the very least, like don't, yeah, don't, don't get too down on yourself for what's going on. And I think the vibe of the sing-alongs, at least as I witnessed it in, in that in that era, was one of like catharsis. Like everyone is like having experiencing something that's cathartic, like a release. That's a good word. Yeah. Catharsis is a word for it, I think. It's a pretty it's a beautiful thing to see a, a room full of audience a room full of people singing something um expressing that kind of complexity of emotion. And like really feeling it. Thank you. I don't know if like it ever hits you. I mean, cause it's not like a, um, it's not like a room full of people singing like sweet Caroline or something. <laughs> I had my family cover that song for my grandma's, uh, for, for my grandma's Christmas present last year. I like recorded a cover and I had everyone send in their oh. iPhone recordings and I like just kind of lined them up. <laughs> it oh, sounds nice. bad. <laughs> <laughs> But like singing this like kind of complex emotional thing altogether. I mean, how does that feel for you? It sounds great. It sounds, it sounds uh, like at the time that you walked in on it when you were there, um, I think it like, that's kind of the, the, the only way to make that show like uh, good and like bring it to the next level is like if, if people like get behind it and like kind of make it happen. Cause like, otherwise you're looking at like an upright bass and a guitar and, you know, two people singing, which is also cool. But I think like, yeah, the, the participation and the catharsis, like that group, that group, uh, happening is like, is what made it like a real band. I remember like when I interviewed you, Sean, for the Mike Park, um, article I wrote, I might've been around the same time. I don't know if you've continued to use this as a descriptor, but at the time you were like saying, you know, our band is, is sad in the key of happy. Yeah. I, I, I still, I would, I would still describe that. Yeah. Now I think that you could say this about, there's definitely a lot of ska bands you can say this about as well, that there's something about that, um, 
taking taking music that has a happy sound or an upbeat sound to it and inserting sadness or darkness into it lyrically how it gives you a very specific feeling i think that's hard to hard to explain and hard to get in any other way like listening to sad music that's is sad lyrics is a different experience the, yeah it's it, the best way to describe it is in terms of food it's like sweet and salty or it's bittersweet uh it's something yeah it's like it's a complexity hidden behind something that's that's like on the face very pleasant I think there's also, um, you know, with uh, like kind of the message, like Scott has always had like pretty great, like social messages and stuff too. And I think that that's something about kind of the music uh, makes a kind of like approaching more difficult subjects like palatable. Yeah. So it's not, it, it become it doesn't come off as preachy. It comes off as more like it kind of softens your ears to listen to something of substance. Yeah, it's kind of like, you know, like comedians, I feel like they're oftentimes in the best position to like get a point across, you know, where like people are like kind of open to it because there's like the humor element to it. You can kind of get like some subversive um, information across just because like people are more open to it because of like the the humor element. Yeah, you start laughing so you can hear hear some like real point that maybe you would wouldn't want to listen to otherwise. Yeah, yeah. So, now you guys did uh, Knife Man on Asian Man. Um, I read that Mike said that he was trying to get you to leave the label <laughs> because you were too big for Asian Man and that nobody was interested for some reason. Is that true? Yeah, that is true. Wow, that is so weird. <laughs> people, yeah, a lot of people don't know what to make of our band. But just from a point of view of like going like, wow, these guys are selling records. They're filling clubs. Like you would think that that alone. <laughs> if you'd go to the show, like, I mean, it was, it was, it was impressive. It impressed me the degree to which like the audience is like singing along, you know, like that's not something that happens at all the shows, you know? So like it was, it was really bizarre. Um, we kind of had a little bit of a, I think, I, yeah, a little bit of a chip on our shoulder for stuff like that in the past where it's just like, I feel like maybe like kind of uh, kindred spirits with like ska bands in that like, it's like, why? Like we're, we're a good band and like we play music well and people like us. Like why, why, why aren't we cool? <laughs> you know, like what is it that like, why won't, why won't the fucking cool, cool kids like put out a record and stuff. But I mean, I don't know. I've, I've gotten over, I've gotten over that um, since then, but it is weird. <laughs> Can you recall what Mike said to you in terms of like why you should leave the label? Well, he just wants to sell our back catalog, you know, like if, you know, Alkaline Trio goes mm-hmm. on to like fucking be on whatever Vagrant and Epitaph and stuff. And then like he's got the back catalog and those the sales like fucking go up, you know, like it's good for him um, to like have a have the band when they start out, you know, and then they go into bigger things. And then like he's just like doesn't have to spend a bunch of money on marketing and distribution and all that crap. You know, he's not really yeah. interested in doing that. He just like, he can let the big label do that. And then he like, you know, benefits from it. Yeah. If, if it's good for him, it's also good for the bands because he, he has the most equitable deals in town and he does, he actually does his accounting and he pays bands, which is, is sadly so fucking rare. <laughs> um, yeah. but yeah, like you, if you, at that point he had, uh, 
you know, well, that was our third record for Asian man or fourth, I guess, after he reissued our first record. Yeah. So like, yeah, goodbye guys. I have enough records. Like go get bigger. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, we'll see you all. Yeah. It would have been great. It would have been beautiful. And he was also like, yeah, we, we were like, at that point, we we're like starting to ask him like, yeah, you know, can we like, you know, hire somebody to do like publicity for this and stuff? And he's just like, oh, I don't want to do that. Yeah. <laughs> it's like Literally a huge waste of money. Him do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And he did. He begrudgingly did it for Knife Man. And uh, I don't know. I don't know what all came from it. I mean, yeah, the album's great. Like, you know, I'm really proud of how it turned out and how everything's gone since then. But yeah, funny moment back then. I don't even, I'm trying to remember even who we reached out to or I don't know. Yeah. I was talking to Barsook a lot. Oh yeah. Yeah. We went, but I, I think I annoyed Josh Rosenfeld too much. I, I called him a bunch. I was like, you know, I wasn't like early twenties. Kids and yeah. I'm like, Hey, we're friends, right? It's like, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, Josh. <laughs> when you did people and uh, up to that point, were you guys like, did the folk punk thing kind of permeate your band at much at that point? Yeah. The the late, the scene. And was that part of what you were maybe like, you kind of compared it to like ska, like being kind of like off radar. Was was that maybe something going on? I mean, I, I don't know if folk punk has ever had like enough cultural cachet to like, for people to even like stick their nose up at. Um Yeah. Like, and you know, in terms of bigger labels and stuff, uh, with the exception of, you know, of course, of like the violent femmes and shit, but they're not, they're not a folk punk band. They're alternative or whatever. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I don't know, but we definitely had a, I I would say we had a similar chip on our shoulder as the blue meanies did where it's like, no, it's not folk punk. It's music. It's like, whatever we want to do with this is what it is. Yeah, I think like can't maintain, you know, just like very intentionally we had like fucking heart elation, just like kind of like a power trio punk song. Like I think we uh, were kind of growing tired of being put in that folk punk box, you know, which is really just a, you know, we were folk punk by nature of the instrumentation, really, I think was a part of it. Um, So like, yeah, with can't maintain or just like really trying hard to push against that and also like that continued i mean it's continued up throughout our whole career i think we've kind of come to terms with the folk folky stuff you know we lean into it like uh normalization blues on our last record is like very much a folk song and uh that's okay (laughs) yeah i i've softened to it for sure like it's because it's it's punk in spirit and it it always has been i mean yeah i think our, our band is definitely like I think it would be a shame to reduce it entirely to folk punk, but sure, call it that. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I feel like you've handled the sort of transition to uh, bigger instrumentation really well, to the point where it's like it's not even like one style of full band sound. It's pretty. It's pretty broad. Yeah, we try to have range. That's like that's something that I like that I'm proud of of our band. Like you know, if you look across the all soon to be eight albums like we we have a fucking range sonically and and emotionally and all the people that have played in the band throughout the years you know like everyone's bringing different kind of influences to the table and stuff too like i think uh probably a lot of people who are familiar with our band would be surprised if they like 
you know, sat in the van for seven hours on a, on a trip, you know, as far as like what kind of music we're listening to. Um, just nothing but oh, ska. plenty of ska there will there will be ska absolutely yeah bands in the van <laughs> is there any any ska that's been uh that you've been into more recently that's you've you've forced your bandmates mm, to listen to i'm trying to think of anything that i've been listening to i mean i i probably with ska it's been more just like leaning on the, the older stuff that I, I listened to when i was younger i can't think of any ska i i, I recently checked out that cat bite band, they seem really cool. And I'm trying to think of any others. I, I really just like burn through music so quickly. I oftentimes forget like what I've been listening to. I saw the interrupters in Montreal a couple of years ago when I was, uh, opening up for Jeff solo and they were fucking great. It was awesome. I remember I liked that frighteners album a few years ago. That was really good. Oh man, that band, that band's amazing. Yeah. What are they called? The frighteners like missing a vowel or something somewhere. They're uh they're a band from like Brooklyn from like the like maybe like five, six years ago or you know, two thousand tens era. Like they're kind of part of this Brooklyn they call it Brooklyn rock steady scene because it's more rock steady sound. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah. It's really um really good stuff. Well while reading the book, I um checked out the terrorists a little bit. I like that. Um what else did I listen to? Was it Kate something or other from, or she moved from the coast? Oh, um, Heavy Manners. Checked out some of her stuff. That was really cool. I re- I went back and re-listened to Turn the Radio Off, which it was like one of those weird things where, um, you know, I haven't listened to that album in a long time, but I put it on and I'm like singing along immediately. I'm like, whoa. <laughs> This is so familiar, <laughs> like it never went away. That record, um, definitely juvenile. However, it's not goofy. I mean, it's there's silly elements to it, but it, if you listen to lyrics, it's pretty like <laughs> it's kind of depressing. Yeah, yeah, it's got some dark, dark themes in it for sure. I think that's like goes over some people's heads. People who aren't into it, they're just like, ah, oh, Hawaiian shirt guy. It's, it's silly. Yeah. Well, then, like, then knowing that the um, so was it the bass player of Oingo Boingo yeah. produced that? Yeah. Is that John right? Avila. Uh, yeah. And like, then you hear it, and you're like, oh yeah, of course. Like this totally lines up. <laughs> like you can hear the Oingo Boingo in, in that stuff for sure. I want to ask about this uh, specific show you did um, for AV Club. It was uh, you, you guys, and Jeff Rosenstock. It was <laughs> yeah. just covers or something, right? Yeah, it was an undercover series, um, but we did something weird with it. <laughs> it was it was off season. They liked it, and they they wanted to have us back, but they didn't have like the season currently running. I see. So they they gave us like they they gave us the list of all the songs from like the previous seasons, like everything they had done up until then. I think is that right, Ben? I'm trying to remember what the yeah. What, there was a pool of songs that we were choosing from and i think like originally the idea was that we did a song but then all of a sudden I, maybe we were having a difficult time choosing or, or they were just maybe they i don't know who suggested it but then we just like turned it all into like this total mashup live thing that we like figured out like yeah we came up with the idea three days before the performance and like between sound checks and just like talking about it and discussing it in the van it was our it was our second time there because like the first time we did a stone temple pilots cover but like okay, we, yeah, we did. devoted out and it was awesome 
and it was uh oh david anthony i i would i'd probably give credit to him for like bringing us back there so quickly mm-hmm. um but yeah he was i i think the idea was that we could do a medley and instead of doing a medley we did a mashed up <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah so jeff rosenstock's band for like four or five minutes they burned through like four or five songs um really fast punk rock and then you guys do or essentially like a dozen songs, but <laughs> really yeah. it's like three songs because you play them at, you know, some of them you're playing at the same time. Some of them it's like you play uh, like, like a riff for of a song and that that's, it's all, you know, you got that. Yeah. Like Barracuda is just like the riff to it. And, uh, yeah. We're just like uh, sneaking them in as much as we could. Psycho killer was in there. Gates of steel was in there. Sweater song was in there. We even snuck our old, uh, stone temple pilots, uh, cover in the end of it. <laughs> yeah. Like probably another five or six songs that I can't even think of. Right now. Dirt bag <laughs> we, we just tweeted about it. It was so sick. <laughs> yeah. And like, it would be like, yeah, there would be like the chords for one song are happening. And then there's like a call and response from two different songs over the top of it. It was, really fucking <laughs> over the like i'm i'm so proud of us for like figuring that out and and then, like the performance is continuous yeah. too so like jeff does his thing and then we just like hand over instruments there's no break like the whole thing happened live in one take if i were don was i would say that shit was sophisticated <laughs> <laughs> yeah you did um psycho killer i think it was just like the music of psycho killer and then you were singing heart of gold that's one <laughs> yeah <laughs> and th- and then I, I believe like Gates of Steel, We Got the Beat, Go Your Own Way, Linger, all of that. Yeah. Those four were, I think we're all going at the same time. <laughs> There's like that song, Surrender, yeah. Surrender, Don't, yeah, like oh, so much. One? Yeah. That was the first time I had heard the term modulation because <laughs> uh, Preston was like, I, I don't know if I like that <laughs> modulation you do during Gates of Steel. And I was like, what are you talking about? He's like, it doesn't change to this key. And I was like, no, just stay on that note. It's cool. <laughs> What's a modulation? <laughs> so you, you came up with this idea a couple days before and you put this together between sound checks? That's how those fucking AV club things always are. Like they, they invite you like a week before you're going to be in Chicago. And then you're like, oh, fuck, what are we going to do? We only have like, there's this list of shitty songs that we have to pick through. <laughs> and then there's a Stone Temple Pilot song. So you choose that one. Yeah, obviously. <laughs> but that was, yeah, that was the middle one. We did, the next one we did was actually, uh, it was it was for all the people who died that year. And it was sponsored by Hornitos Vodka, <laughs> Hornitos Tequila. It was yeah. like, you know, the Day of the Dead style AV club. And uh, it's pretty gross. We, we could have done Prince. We chose Bowie. And uh, yeah, I remember us having a big old argument over like what Bowie song we would do. Uh, and it, it would have been cool if we would, could have pulled out Black Star. But I don't think all of us could have learned Black Star uh, in three days. But we knew, you know, we, we had listened enough times to Quicksand uh, off of Hunky Dory to like pull it off. And I, I would I, I'm the weakest link when it comes to like learning a song, learning how to like play and sing at the same time. And luckily, I, I already had that in the bag. Um, But sorry, back to that. Uh, That's those AV club things like they're, you know, your your press agent will be like, hey, they want to have you there. And you're like, thanks, but we don't have any time to like figure this out. We have like we have five shows ahead of us and I guess five sound checks and five 
you know, five drives uh, to get that done. But that was like, it's, you know, you kind of run on adrenaline. And for that one, like we were firing on some other shit. I don't know how we pulled that off. And I don't think we would be able to pull that off again. Yeah, pe- people should watch it because it sounds, you, I don't hear a mistake in there. It's so good. And it, it, you, you're doing these little changes and mashups and like jumping to the next song. It's, I, it's, I'm, I'm still like kind of amazed that you did this in a few days. Me too. <laughs> I mean, like, another thing, another thing that I think that like amps you up for that is the fact that you're, you're performing for the staff of the onion. Mm-hmm. Like these people that like, you know, without fail will write like hilarious headlines and articles and like, you know, make you laugh every week. You don't want to let them down. Like they they show up all the time and they fucking do it. So like do your thing that you do and do it as well as try to do it as well as those guys do it. And like, I I remember, you know, just speaking for myself, like being pretty, pretty intimidated and also like, just like, you know, proud to get to play for the staff of the onion Um, and wanting to do the best job that, that we could for, you know, to, to not just look, look, look like a fool in front of them. What would you say is like, how many people are there when you're playing 30 tops? I think one of the times we, we went in one, one of the performances I believe was like on the weekend and like, there weren't many people, but yeah. Yeah. That was that Bowie time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I think all that stuff, like, yeah, they don't have it hosted on their website anymore. It, like it's probably on YouTube or something, but this this concert on YouTube, yeah, somebody ripped it and put it on YouTube. So I want to get the original audio and release it because it was like, yeah, it was really we put a lot of effort into it and really happy with how it came out. Um, but I guess like probably getting <laughs> the clearance for the publishing on it would be a fucking nightmare <laughs> since there's like 13 different people you'd have yeah. to get approval from. 13 is that generous. Yeah, 13 bands, like not to mention all the different interests within that, you know. So after Asian Man, you were on Side One Dummy um, for a while. Sure did. Good luck, everyone. The album you released in 2020. You guys decided to self-release that. Um, I'm really curious why you decided to go the self-release route. Decided. <laughs> decided, really? <laughs> All these labels, all these labels are—they're just like you know, knocking our door down. But uh, yeah, we mm-hmm. we refused them all. No, I mean, yeah, like uh, Mike Park, you know, of course he would have put it out, but he's like, <laughs> oh, that would be silly. You guys have to do this yourselves. <laughs> <laughs> I guess you get to a point where you have enough of a name that, unless it's like somebody with some big some big reach, that you're going to probably have the same audience buying it. So you put it out yourself you're going to get a bigger cut of it yeah yeah that was definitely part of the the reasoning behind it and uh yeah we recorded most of it ourselves it was kind of like that that was the spirit of it you know after having been on the biggest label that we we've ever been on uh i think we kind of just wanted to like turn you know i think our career is mostly just like doing a thing and then being like okay what how how what's like the furthest we could do that like from that you know like how far removed from that last situation can we get so i think that was kind of part of the attitude as well yeah we're always into trying a new approach or like yeah reacting reacting to what we just did with yeah something kind of polar i know like every 
everyone, everyone feels this way about the pandemic, like whatever they're listening to or whatever, like happened to come out, you know, in the couple months leading up to it has like some sort of weird meaning to them, you know, unintended meaning. But, uh, I got to say that the normalization blues at the end of the normalization blues, where you go, you just kind of go, good luck, everyone. Like just in this kind of like <laughs> flippant, but sad way <laughs> that like, <laughs> <laughs> that like <laughs> played in my head for like months as I'm like <laughs> kind of trying to uh, deal with the pandemic. Like I felt like that set the tone for me. That little like one second part of that song. <laughs> the timing of that album is uh, something else, yeah. you know, like the whole, the whole thing, you know, the whole idea, like the themes in it, the album art, like just fucking everything about it was uh kind of kind of scary how on the nose it was um it seemed like too much yeah when we were making the records like is this too much like i don't know is it really is it really that bad <laughs> so much worse <laughs> <laughs> and so we uh we put it out in january 2020 and we uh. we like, had so yeah just so ambitious with like the year and touring and everything it was it was gonna be our year and then uh we got a little bit of touring out of the way and just like yeah the whole fucking then we just stayed home for a year and and uh yeah i don't know it's bizarre (laughs) just uh yeah i can't believe it's yeah it it seems unreal Mm -hmm. what was the worst part and best part of staying home oh yeah uh i don't know i mean like makes I was starting to come to the realization that like um you know, like I had like complicated feelings about touring but then I was like you know tour like playing music in front of people is incredible I love it so much but like it's like the best job with like the fucking shittiest commute because we're just like in the fucking van mm-hmm. all the time like I Right after that, yeah, we did like a little bit of touring right after the album came out and like my back got all fucked up after it. And I, I don't know if it was from loading gear or just like long drives. Um, like, yeah, at the very end of that leg of tour, like we had we drove through the snowstorm. And I just remember like being so fucking tense, like going down these hills with like this snow coming down. I don't know, just like freaked out. And I don't know, I think it all caught up with me afterwards so i don't know just being home and being able to like go on walks and uh you know kind of just like eat food that i could prepare at my home was nice so like kind of maybe kind of not really kind of took that for granted when we were touring a lot um yeah and then i don't know there's a lot of worse parts (laughs) (laughs) name one pick one um, I don't know, washing my fucking groceries. Uh <laughs> yeah, Woo, that I was just fun. never knowing like there's like this yeah, this thing that you can't see that's out there trying to kill you. You know, like that was uh probably the worst part of it for me. <clears throat> is that is that an AJJ lyric you just said? <laughs> probably. <laughs> <laughs> hey Sean, when you when you played my event, that's that was August twenty twenty one. Had you had you done many shows at that point? Uh, no, lots of shows on, uh, on Instagram. I, uh, my, my kind of reaction to that, to, to try to like feel normalcy was to play, um, 
play songs that I like and I'm familiar with on like live on, on Instagram and mm-hmm. YouTube. Um, so that was, a that was kind of how I like kept musically like tight and engaged the, I'd say the best part about the, you know, that, that, uh, first wave of the quarantine or of the, of the pandemic was, um, getting, getting kind of like better at self-recording and self-producing. Mm-hmm. Um, worst part was losing my father-in-law to COVID. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah. It, that obviously that, that was awful. Um, but yeah, and that, that show in August was really fun. Thanks for, for having it outdoors. That was great. Yeah. They, um, <laughs> they, uh, they were like, they really wanted to do it indoors. And I was like, can you, can you require a proof of vaccine? He's like, I don't know that that's going to go over well here in Arizona. I'm like, well, can we not do it indoors then? Cause that's, I don't think that's a good idea. <laughs> He's like, Oh, okay. Yeah. That's a good call. But, but anyways, if you're listening, uh, I really appreciate you putting the show on. It was an awesome show, but I was, you know, it was the Delta wave was happening. So I wasn't like feeling in the indoors at that particular event. Mm-hmm. Was it, was Sunny the one, um, kind of running the show? Do you remember Sean? Yeah, it was Sunny. Sunny's awesome. Yeah. He's a great guy. And that was, that was an awesome show. They had like, um, he brought his like ska record collection to the to the shop and he like the the low the case below the donuts was just filled with ska vinyl albums <laughs> and uh, they were playing ska and they made um they, they made some different ska type donuts like there was some checkered donuts and then there was like the letters s k and a mm-hmm. you could get those yeah. donuts yeah it was it was awesome <laughs> nice what was that so i for me just watching you it was like it was impactful it was emotional um just just you know because I, I i haven't seen music i mean we, we did one event a little earlier that year with dan pothouse playing acoustic songs outside but um like just seeing music again that was that was emotional for me and also just like i felt like there was a lot of like there was a lot of emotion behind you playing it that was like i felt did it feel that way to you first i have a question for ben are you, did you say that your favorite part of the, the first wave of the pandemic was that you didn't have to go on tour? <laughs> <laughs> you get to go on walks or whatever. Yeah. I was, I was saying that, uh, I, I noticed that touring was really hard on my body and I was like grateful for the opportunity to kind of, I don't know. It just seemed like I was able to better. Yeah. I don't know. My back was like super fucked up after that after that first leg of tour and uh it would have been really bad if we had to go out on tour again so yeah oh, okay yeah that makes that makes sense though i mean as much fun as tour is like it's hard on your body yeah yeah i was uh just like to not have to go through all the physical hardships or just recognizing and having a more clear understanding of like the correlation between like the shitty parts of touring and like how i was feeling to like be able to draw that direct line and then like be like, okay, cool. I can like make choices uh, in my day to day. And like, I'm, I'm better about touring now too. Like I, uh, I think that I make more of an effort to like be physical while we're on tour. Um, yeah. There's just like coming to the realization that like, there's a better way to do it, I think. But I don't know. Yeah. Not to say that like, 
there was there wasn't like a ton of like really wonderful stuff to choose from as far as like the best part of the pandemic. So mm-hmm. that would be that would be my choice. Yeah. <laughs> True. All right. Cool. <laughs> Dang, you almost got in trouble with the boss. <laughs> yeah, that was. You're the you boss. T- you talked yourself out of that one. Great. So I always look at Ben as the boss. I I don't know. If, <laughs> I don't know if that's a that's a weird thing we need to to figure out. But like I <laughs> and I've always you've always been my manager at the jobs we we've worked at. Um, that's true. I kind of just always look at you as the boss. But also for the record, though, we never tour for longer than three weeks at a time, um, which is like in you know I, as far as like I, I kind of have noticed about the way other bands tour we we don't tour very much either not that i'm complaining like being home is awesome but like our tours are generally like pretty like we keep them short for a good reason yeah where where have you guys both worked together where ben was the boss uh coffee shops okay we worked at, at a coffee shop called willow house um and that was where ben and i first met it was like a a second wave coffee shop one that would like you'd walk in and you'd hear like the sneaker pimps playing and, and someone you know some white person with dreadlocks would be like <laughs> doing poetry um and then the then another job we worked after that place went down was a uh, an ice cream shop that also sold coffee and ben quickly rose up the ladder and became the manager <laughs> <laughs> so another fun thing about the willow house uh so like it was really crucial to the band, like getting to where it did. We would work a shift, you know, and the place would close at midnight and then we'd have to like, you know, clean up and everything. So like around like 1230, 1245, we'd be all wrapped up with like our obligations on the clock. And then we would play music. We would like the whole place is empty. We never had like a, a rehearsal spot really, you know, so we would just like hang out till you know, three in the morning, four in the morning or whatever, especially like on, you know, summer nights where like, that's the best time of day. And we would, yeah. uh, we would just play music for hours and hours. And like, that was a really cool uh, moment in the band's history. And I think it was like really important as far as like us learning how to like play music together. And how to work together as people. Like ben would be like, you need to mop this floor better. <laughs> <laughs> No, no, no. You need to, you need to, you need to tie the trash bag before you put it on. Otherwise it's just going to fall down. Did I ever teach you the trick? The really important trick that I learned uh, doing community service one time is you have to poke a hole in the trash can too. Otherwise, like it'll just be like this um, backwards kind of balloon thing, you know, like you'll put trash in it, but like it won't expand out. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? Anyone else? Work, uh... The science makes sense, but you never told me that. Oh, shit. I'm sorry, man. I failed you. <laughs> <laughs> you definitely told me a dry sponge is a happy sponge. Yeah. And <laughs> God, I told Tony that once, and she got so fucking pissed at me. <laughs> really? <laughs> well, maybe, yeah, why is that? I want to know. That's a whole other conversation. Um, I'm sure she had her reasons. I was just lecturing. Did you guys eat free ice cream while you would work on music? Oh, the ice cream. That was a different job. Um, we ate lots of, I ate lots of free ice cream when I was there. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. I would sneak into the, yeah, into the freezer and like. Where the cameras couldn't see you. Yeah. Dude, the <laughs> owners had, had had cameras pointed, not, not outward, but inward at the employee. And you'd change the station, the XM station. They'd get all bent about it. They were, yeah. It was like one of those obnoxious jobs too, where like, 
the place wasn't very busy and you'd do all your side work and you'd clean everything up and you're like, well, I'm going to fucking sit down and read a book. But like, they kind of had like the whole, like got time to lean, got time to clean sort of mentality. It was, Mm -hmm. but also like, I just didn't give a fuck. So that's, that's a good, sure. Good place to be coming from when you're working a job. (laughs) Yeah. I, I decided to ghost them after a tour because, uh, I got a text at six in the morning. It was like, Sean, what, what happened last night? Why aren't these floors clean? <laughs> it was from the owner. Like, Oh, well, I, I don't need to work here anymore. <laughs> <laughs> was Ben still your manager at that point? Yeah. But I think by that point he realized I was a wild stallion. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I wasn't trying to, I wasn't trying to rein anyone in. That was not a job that Ben would give a shit about. <laughs> Gotta let him run free. <laughs> I just had to like count the drawer and get paid more. That's all, you know. (laughs) Thank you so much for listening to In Defense of Ska. If you've enjoyed this episode, please like and subscribe to the podcast wherever you normally stream or download episodes. If you haven't already, grab a copy of my book, In Defense of Ska, available at clashbooks.com. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. It's at In Defense of Scott. And please consider joining our Patreon at patreon.com backslash In Defense of Scott. You will get monthly bonus episodes, extended interviews and commentary per episode, and access to the In Defense of Scott Discord. In Defense of Ska would not be possible without the great team that tirelessly works on it every week. So you should go check out their other projects as well. Co-host Adam Davis has an amazing band called Omnigon. Give them a follow on Instagram and Twitter. It's simply at Omnigon. And our editor, Chris Reeves, has a phenomenal record label and podcast called Ska Punk International. For more information, go to skapunkinternational.com. And if you've ever enjoyed one of the highly specific in defense of ska memes floating around the interwebs, it was likely the work of the bands I like only charge $18. Find them on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. On that note, we leave you by saying ska now more than ever. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hey, everybody, it's Barry from the What Podcast. Hey, it's Russ. Hey, it's Brian, and we are giving away two tickets to Bonnaroo 2024. These are GA+, and they include camping. Russ, how do people get qualified? We want to hear your top artists to play on the Bonnaroo 2024 lineup. Call 423-667-7877 and tell us who we should check out. It's the What Podcast. Thanks.